What's going on, guys? Welcome back to today's episode where I'm sitting down with uh, Dean McKillop. Uh, this is a Stack Strength podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel DeBrock. And today we're going to be talking about how to manage your diet and training uh, while you're traveling. So, first off, Dean, thanks so much for jumping on, man. Can you uh, give yourself a little bit of an introduction, let people know a little bit about who you are, what you've been involved with? Cool, man. Thank you very much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be on podcasts you listen to. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for that. Mate, um, I'm the co-founder and like co-director of a, an Australian-based, or at least an originally Australian-based company called Flex Success. Um, we, we sort of kicked off about eight years ago in the online space looking to help people with their nutrition, uh, trying to improve nutritional literacy and then and creating sustainable changes through individuals trying to change their body composition or just understand a little bit more about nutrition because it was just such a, such a shit show of a, of a place and still kind of is. Um, my wife and I, or now wife at the time, she was just my girlfriend, uh, we started it kind of as a bit of a, a hobby, I guess, like on the side, help people out instead of sending them to other people all the time. Um, I mean, eight years has passed now and it's morphed into all sorts of different things. We're still essentially the same thing, an online nutrition consultancy business. I personally, though, uh, solely specialize in contest preparation for bodybuilders and now even more so have niched into just men. Um, that's my that's my professional background, I guess you could say. Prior to that, I, my educational background was in uh, human movement studies. That's what I studied. I got a Bachelor of Human Movement Exercise Science at the University of Queensland in Australia. Um, so I, I sort of kicked off my career wanting to be a strength and conditioning coach uh, and was involved with some rugby league comp uh, sort of companies here in Australia and then became a sort of an individual moving from soccer or football, depending on where you're at in the world, what you want to call it. I think it's soccer for both of us in Australia and, and Canada, right? Is it soccer there? Yeah. 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 Um, and then knowing that I was going to a rugby league team, I thought, oh, I need to really put some weight on here if, if they're going to take me seriously because everybody knows, you know, you're as smart as you look. <laughs> um, I say that very tongue-in-cheek. Uh, and, uh, and, man, then I kind of found in the passion and love for training and being an individual for a change, which got me into bodybuilding. And then bodybuilding got me into more interest into nutrition. And then over time, it's just been self-education and nutrition for the specificity of, of contest preparation. So that's my main jam. Um, I suppose now the interesting uh, position that I'm in specific to this podcast that we're going to talk about is that my wife and I p uh, packed up shop and decided to live out of a suitcase as of the end of last year uh, while I was in a contest prep for a bodybuilding show to compete in the UK. So we moved overseas. I competed within four months and we've been traveling now uh, ever since for the, the past five months on top of that. So it's been nine months of living a, living a digital nomad life while still trying to sustain a level of physique that I want to as a, as a, you know, personal preference, I guess you could say. And you're still like really shredded, which is, which is pretty, I mean, maybe, okay, maybe not to like your standards, but uh, to I think 99.8% of the world, they're going to say you're pretty jacked and pretty shredded. So that's something I found pretty impressive is like when I was living in China and Korea and especially because you go to places that aren't even, like major hubs like when i was living in indonesia they didn't have gyms they had like concrete slabs on like little wooden dowels that you just randomly find on the on the <laughs> on the beach and then you just lift that and it's like how much is this and you're like i don't know i'm just gonna do it <laughs> you know? and so so i always found that kind of interesting that you were able to actually maintain like a 
a good physique and you know what i suspect is, is pretty good training habits uh while you've been traveling and doing all of this stuff and there's so much variability in there and so i guess the first place that uh, that i'd like to start is you know prior to actually traveling what are the things that you sort of look to do or look to plan around you know prior to making any sort of uh I guess, travel plans or book flights or any of that stuff? Like, what are some of the key things that you really focus on? Mm. Uh, I suppose that question would typically lend itself to practical answers. You know, like, do you look for a gym? Where in the major part of the city do you want to stay? Do they have access to a gym there? What are the nutritional practices like in that country? Are they a meat-dominant country or a vegetarian-dominant country? And all that kind of stuff. And I think those things are for sure important and we can we can delve into those but more important than anything as far as i'm concerned is trying to set yourself up with a understanding of the the behaviors as an individual that are necessary in order to facilitate like a sustainable physique long term because it's all well and good knowing where the gym is or even having a meal prep company or something like that but if you really have no idea what it takes to sustain a physique from a training perspective, what it takes to sustain a certain level of body fat from a food perspective, uh, you know, what it takes to even sustain a level of appetite control and stress management, all these sorts of things with varying beds and pillows and changes in time zones. All of that stuff is sort of like, that's all going to get missed real quickly and you're going to get lost in the weeds and be like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm somewhere where I don't understand and you just shit the bed, essentially. So, so what's super important from the beginning is, is understanding like your nutritional needs or understanding nutrition itself a little bit so that you can make some educated, informed decisions, you know, then understanding what your personal goals are, and then also understanding what your personal preferences are to these things like training, um, food and all the rest of it. So you can actually put it all together and be adaptable. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what are some of those key tenants that you tend to focus on uh that kind of set the the sort of foundation for a lot of the other principles you sort of work off of yeah cool so um let me i'll, I'll kick back a couple of years ago so a couple of years ago um intuitive eating became quite popular or at least was coming up in the space whereby everybody was like you know intuitive eating this and intuitive eating that uh and then prior to that there was the whole like macro tracking craze right where everyone's like you just got to track macros and like, there's always these dogmatic belief systems between nutritional systems that go one go too far one way or the other. And at Flex, we had a um, we had a difficult period at one stage trying to get people to understand the difference between intuitive and understand the difference between macro tracking and why you might go for one or the other and all this kind of stuff. And we came up with this concept of informed eating. Now, informed eating comes from the understanding of like those three key pillars that I kind of just talked about. It's first and foremost, you have to have a nutritional understanding. Second for that, you need to understand your personal needs. So like, you know, how many calories do you need to sustain X body fat? How many calories do you need to sustain X performance, et cetera. And then also your personal preferences. Like, do you prefer a protein fat dominant diet or do you prefer a protein carb dominant diet or whatever it may be? So like, that's the step like process. And I think the problem with using myself as an example, at least at face value for a sustaining your physique discussion is that I've got 10 years of those three pillars before I've gotten to this stage where I can sustain this level of physique while traveling indefinitely. 
So people need to really just first take a step back and understand they need to go through those three pillars first to understand so they can make, because you'll probably hear me talk about this throughout this podcast, this concept of informed choices and informed eating, because that's all I'm doing every day It's in regards to training or informed training is I'm taking what I've learned, I'm taking what I know I need, and then I'm taking my personal preferences and then I'm implementing that on a day-to-day basis. No, that makes perfect sense. And that was something that you mentioned to me, which I sort of lacked, I guess, the taxonomy sometimes to to discuss like informed eating because you're like, you're like, it is somewhat intuitive, but intuition is not just a gut feeling. Intuition is a culmination of all of your experience and, you know, the education you received and what's worked, what hasn't worked. And so, and that's what, that's, what's intuitive about it. So it's not just a gut feeling. It's it's very well informed. But I kind of struggle to not even necessarily a struggle because I would explain it, but I wouldn't necessarily have like a specific phrase. And so I remember when we were chatting just via DMs. I think it was you. Maybe it was Lizzie. I can't remember, but I think it was you. And you mentioned informed eating or something like that to me. And I was like, oh, that's a really great way of phrasing it. And so I've actually since then kind of used that in in you know how I refer to that now as well because. There are definitely some really important distinctions there. Like a lot of the time, intuitive eating is what gets people fat. Sorry, my, my phone's blowing up right now. I'll turn it off. Um, but, you know, I, I do think as well that it ends up being a little bit of a spectrum, right? So, you know, the pillars that you mentioned, I think, are foundational. But regardless of where you're at, you can still execute a lot of those things. And so, you know, where most people are starting are probably in the novice to intermediate stages regarding nutrition, who are going to be listening to this podcast anyways. That's where most people probably settle. Um, so what are some of the things that you would look at that can have the highest magnitude of effect on their performance while sim- simultaneously being something that's within their uh, level of ability and competence to actually execute as like a starting point, let's say? While they travel. First thing is getting a clear understanding on what you're trying to achieve from a physique or performance perspective while you travel too, you know? Like if, if you have a competition that's coming up, whether you're a performance athlete like a powerlifter or a strongman or you're an aesthetic athlete like a like a, a bodybuilder, if your travel time exists within your preparation time, then the behaviours and the models that you need to set up and the level of accuracy to your nutrition is going to drastically change compared to somebody who's achieved a particular goal and then is looking to sustain at least the performance that they've managed or the physique that they've managed to achieve come holiday time. So that would be number one. And then like any dieting phase, like I know you've just, you, you I would say you said just finished, but you're in the midst of a six-month diet, right? You know, we may say that as the diet extreme or as the goal of the diet rises in extreme its extreme nature so does therefore your behaviors in order to facilitate that goal so choose that first because that's going to change a lot of things so like to draw a to draw a parallel with myself i'm currently in a phase of of life um i would refer to myself back to what i did before i did bodybuilding which is i'm a hobby builder uh, in that i enjoy training I would like to sustain the physique that I've achieved over the last 12 years of training. I really enjoy food, including the experiences that it provides me when I get to try different things. And because of that, I know that I need to do a lot less in regards to training in order to sustain what I've maintained. You know, so like practically speaking, do we look for gyms when we travel? Absolutely. 
one of our rules is like, do we want a gym within 25 minutes of walking? That's one of the first things that we do because we like to choose one that's somewhere in between zero and 25 minutes because if it's too close and too far, too close means that we're not going to get some of our daily walking done, which we do as a behavior in order to sustain a level of calories that we can intake from a food perspective. So like I like a 15-minute walk to the gym. Usually I finish work, I can go off, it lets me mentally prepare. I get in 1,500 steps there and back. So then that's a behavior that I'm sustaining without even having to think about going for a walk now like we used to when we, we lived in Australia. Um, that's going to be option number one. And then usually we're going to pinpoint around like what kind of uh, – grocery stores and stuff are available to us so that we can pick and choose what foods we go for. Um, Liz and I are also massive on trying to find local mar markets for that very reason too, so that we can pick foods that are essentially the same everywhere in the world, just slightly different variations thereof. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think especially the importance of establishing your goals and priorities right on the uh, Right, right at the beginning is really important because that'll definitely skew what you're going to be doing. So even this weekend, for instance, uh, I mentioned to you kind of off camera, I think anyways, um, my memory is terrible, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I went out with, uh, that I went out with some friends over the weekend. And this was kind of like, you know, sort of a little going away thing. So, you know, it's the, the first time I've eaten off my diet in six months. Uh, and so now I kind of feel like bloated and like shit and puffy and tired and my eyes are all burning and heavy and stuff. And so, you know, but that was like planned. So I don't feel like a piece of shit necessarily for, for doing it. Um, and so uh, I have a question for you. Did you go into that meal with any kind of idea of what success would be come the end of it? Um, so for, yes, uh, for me, the biggest thing is, is sort of, letting go a little bit like i'm very meticulous so i'm never more than one gram away from my target and i don't mean one gram per macro i mean one gram period total across all three macros every day and i never miss i just am always 100 on point with like my nutrition my meal timing supplements everything and so i'm very very meticulous about all that so for me it was a lot more about just being like okay I'm just not going to have a panic attack if I go off diet. I'm just going to take this time and genuinely enjoy it, not try and necessarily, you know, minimize damage. I'm just going to go in and really enjoy it. So I just went in. I actually didn't even overeat. Um, I ate. I felt good. I didn't feel stuffed. Um, and it was just really fun to be out with my friends. And they all signed this little card for me and just wrote a lot of really mean things. Actually, it's fucking hilarious <laughs> so like I, I i feel like I, I, oh man i wish i could read it it was like so because i've lost like 40 pounds they, they make jokes and they're like oh you're on the aids diet uh -huh. and uh <laughs> and so my one buddy just wrote hey dan all aids jokes aside dot 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 never mind you're a fucking disgrace <laughs> or something like that <laughs> <laughs> just that was all he wrote <laughs> and i just laughed so hard so it was like for me that was that was the big win it was just i went in i had fun you know now i kind of feel like shit the next couple of days but that's fine you know i'm mm. back on my diet so it's all good so that that was success for me um but uh yeah but that, that's the important question to ask yourself a lot of the time like what is success at the end of this holiday if it's a short holiday it may change how you go about your behaviors you know uh, and then what is six and and then depending on what I determine to be success there, how does that then impact my long-term goals? So like I'm exactly the same as you in regards to my meticulous nature 
when the goal requires it. But I also have like an, an uncanny ability to switch that off pretty quickly when the goal shifts. So, you know, like the day that we landed in the UK initially, which was New Year's Eve, up until about April 2nd or 4th, that was four months of relentless repetition. Uh, that, that's one of these sort of like hashtag things that I tell my clients. Bodybuilding is Groundhog Day. It's the ability to just be just relentless repetition day after day after day after day, you know? And then at the end of it, you end up shredded if you do it well. Um, and that was that. It was the next day we woke up, we went for a walk in the morning because that's what I did on prep. And we went straight to the grocery store. And we chose England knowing that I was competing there in four months as opposed to Budapest where we'd prefer to have been because we weren't sure, one, what food availability was there, what drug availability was there. All of these things become a, a consideration for a, a traveling bodybuilder in an untested federation. I thought, you know what? It's easier and smarter and more controllable if I just hit the ground running the day that I land in the UK. Um, and Joe, my coach at the time, uh, we also said, hey, let's make sure you're a little bit leaner when you get here. So we have some room and some margin for error for you to try and find your feet should you wish to. But I didn't need to. So that four months of just meticulous nature, everything goes on the scale. I don't miss a training session. I do not miss steps. I will be in sleep, you know, all of these things. But the moment that that then finishes and the goal shifts to being a hobby builder again, then there's like, okay, which parts of this of my life can I dial back in the extreme nature of those? And which ones do I want to sustain in order to then sustain a level of leanness that I deem to be my personal preference? Uh, and that's going to be different for everyone too, because not everybody could walk around at the same body fat that I currently am. Um, I mean, I probably couldn't have five years ago either. This has again been a you know, a long term progression of becoming resilient to satiety and hunger cues and understanding what hunger was versus or homeostatic hunger, like what comes from within versus what comes from the brain. Like these sorts of understandings of the stuff makes it be different. So. Um, the moment that changed, then it changed for me is like, okay, now I can have one or two meals out a week. And even if it's moderately accurate, it doesn't really matter uh, because 500 calorie error in life is fuck all compared to a 500 calorie error in prep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you said a couple of things that I think are really important to, to just sort of reiterate, which is the consistency of the, the routines that were already present prior to the travel. You know, and, and also anticipating what might come up in the sense of like, okay, what are my goals? Because, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is it's been a while since I've actually like traveled, obviously because of COVID and all this stuff. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I always did was I'd always give myself a day. So my travel day, I would be like, I'm going to try and eat fairly well. But sometimes like I've had flights canceled and then I'm stuck in the airport or like, delays different things like that and so you just kind of have to do your best so for me i was always just like i'm just going to take a day where i'm going to try and stick to it but if i don't i'm not going to lose my mind and i'm kind of anticipating that and then the next day i land i do my grocery shopping like you were saying and so you kind of have this like sort of idea of what you're going to do and then you sort of i guess see where you can adjust your current behaviors exactly like you were saying i think that that's so so important as opposed to just kind of going in blindly because even if you do have good productive behaviors already built up if you don't kind of anticipate what you're going to be running into you don't necessarily know where to implement them because your scheduling is off and all that stuff and so 
Um, a lot of times I'll have clients or I, I guess not, not as much anymore, but uh, I, st I definitely get a lot of questions around traveling for work. So people in Canada, a lot of people work, you know, up at like on an oil rig or they go up to, to camp, they're going out of town to this kind of work base and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, they're traveling pretty frequently. And so that ends up disrupting their ability to, to train and to die and things like that. Do you have any sort of recommendations in terms of, you know, if food availability is sort of set for someone who's, who is working at a camp where they have their own menu and stuff like that? Uh, what are some of the recommendations you make for, for clients like that, as well as individuals who maybe don't just don't know what kind of gym availability is going to be like, or especially if it's a hotel gym, it could be great or it could literally just be a BOSU ball. Yeah. All right. Let's do food first and then you can remind me to do training afterwards. Um, I think if you can set yourself up with the idea of what it means to have a foundational diet to begin with, then you can always make pretty good informed choices as to what you can add and what you can subtract when you are limited by an entire company controlling what goes in your mouth, say, for lunchtime. I actually have a client currently in Australia who works underground in the mines and he's in prep. Now, he knows, for example, that because he's there usually like seven days on the seven days off, he has control of his food for the majority of the day, but each night he has to eat in the mess hall essentially because he doesn't have cooking facilities. So within his mess hall, he says there's a bain-marie of all of these foods and these are what are sort of the options for me. And it's going to be chicken thigh in some form of sauce, a beef steak in another form of sauce. There's usually going to be potatoes. There's usually going to be rice in it, whatever it may be. Now, as you go through the food availability, you can start to look at it and go, what is technically manageable from me from an accuracy perspective if I choose it? And what is going to be very difficult because of ingredients that I can't account for that they've cooked in, like things like oil and added sugars and all that kind of stuff? And he starts to like add and subtract from this. And we say, all right, well, your meal at nighttime is typically going to be a meat-based meal from those two Bay-Marie's. And we're going to say, let's at least uh, give yourself, I suppose, like uh, some security or some leeway in your macronutrient accuracy for dinner. And we're going to allocate a protein and calorie target for that as opposed to a protein, carbohydrate and fat target. And then we're going to shift the rest of his day back according to that meal being a little bit more free if we could use air quotes. Uh, so his meals throughout the day that he has full accuracy and control over will be very accurate and controlled, quite low fat uh, and moderately controlled carbohydrate con consumption. He's also going to ensure that he gets all of his fruit and vegetables in at that time because those are the things that he can control. And then at nighttime when he has less control, he's just going to make the best possible choice that he can at the time, knowing roughly what his protein and calorie target is left over. So that would be that that option one. The option two is also to like learn to use non-perishable items to your to your um, advantage and things that are also like that travel well. So when I travelled from Australia to the UK, it was twenty four hours, uh, and I took a little mini scale with me. I took beef jerky bags, I took a bag of carrots, a bag of cucumbers, um, and I also took. Uh, a bag away, like this amount away. And then I took apples and I think that's all I took for fruit because it was the easiest one. So if you think about like the options that I chose, beef jerky is non-perishable, great protein source, low fat, low carb, easy to do. Whey protein, the same. I had a shaker, I could mix that in if I wanted to. Uh, fruit, I could put on my scale and remove the core. That was easy to travel with. Carrots and cucumbers, uh, like 
negligible amounts of calories. So I could, I still counted them because I'm a weirdo. So no, they were easy to travel with. And then, um, and rice cakes were my carbohydrate source. So there were the, like the four things that I ate for that 24 hours. And I just made meals of variations for that. But if you look at it, it had micronutrients, it had fiber, it had carbs, it had fat, it had protein. Um, so you can do this too if you have less control over what you get fed all day and every day when you are abroad. It doesn't mean that you have to eat from those places every meal. You know, one meal could be a non-perishable like dried fruit, whey protein, you know, beef jerky, rice cakes. Um, try and pick non-perishables that control for macronutrients in the singular form is what I typically try and do when I eat out. I choose an item that is a protein dominant item. I choose an item that is a carbohydrate low fat item, or I choose an item that is non-carbohydrate and fat dominant. And I kind of just always couple them together because in my mind, I can play maths. So like I haven't tracked a macro since prep finished. That was April. Um, I, I got on stage at like 90 kilos by the end of it. I'm currently 94. Um, I will have lost some tissue because my drug load has changed. Um, so you, you might say there's four or five kilos of fat mass at least on top of that prep, if not more, maybe six kilos. Um, but it's all been done by understanding for me, me and my, my individual needs, is that I know that I can get away with roughly 50 protein, 10 fat, 100 carbs, five times per day. And in knowing that every time that I eat something, I'm somewhat doing a bit of a math game in my head, you know, like breakfast for me is always low fat, low carb, high protein. And I'm like, cool, I've just saved 100 grams of carbs and 10 grams of fat. So then if Liz and I are out and we go, oh, that looks delicious. And it's like, oh, that was probably pretty high fat. I'm now not going to add fats to the rest of my meals for the day. And people that are traveling for work can do the exact same thing. Look at the options that you've got, determine what the sort of fat quantity might be or the carb quantity might be and start to sort of, you know, mentally do the, the arithmetic that's required to try and find balance and then plug in your non-perishables to make up the difference. Yeah, and I think even like, you know, one of the things um, that I find to be really helpful as well as like kind of adapting the strategy to the individual's temperament. So like I had one guy who was um, just incredibly dedicated and diligent with his, with his diet, with his training, everything, like everything was always on point. And so for him, it actually caused anxiety to not kind of have that control. Like he enjoyed that part of the process, the monotony kind of like that, that was part of his routine. And so one of the things that we did was we were just like, okay, Cause like he, so he, he drives all across the country servicing like stations or whatever. He's like a electrical engineer or something like that. I don't really understand, but um, so he's always on the road. And that was one of the, his biggest struggles was uh, finding like places to eat that were actually suited for him. But uh, one of the things that we did was we just, I just got him to spend like 300 bucks on a cooler mm. and he literally would pack his, his meals for the entire week and then just re refill the ice pack as he was driving and he gets to new hotel, takes a new ice pack, puts it in there and he has all his meals already prepped. And it ended up being really simple. His, his girlfriend or wife um, would, would just help prep all the stuff. He gets it. He eats, he doesn't have to worry about it. And it was like a huge time saver saved him. Like, I don't know how many hundreds of dollars. Um, Cause he, he was, I think he was getting like a, like money. Like they pay for his meals and he gets like a certain allowance or whatever. 
but now he's just taking that money and I think spending it on like physical therapy and other stuff that's helping him train and perform better. So sometimes even like little things like that, that can kind of change, that can sort of negate a lot of all the downstream negative effects you might see. And it's just one simple, one simple thing. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like pillar number three nailed on informed eating. That's personal preference. And personal preference is likely the one that's going to determine adherence, sustainability, more than anything else. You know, my personal preference is, is that I don't waste fats in my diet early on in the day because I want the opportunity to have them at nighttime should I choose to. So I'm okay to forego a delicious breakfast in preference to know that at the end of the day, I'm probably going to want to add some dark chocolate to something that I eat or a nut butter or I want to have whole legs, whatever it may be. I understand that, you know. Similarly, uh, I, ha I had a guy in Australia who I was consulting with who did a contest prep here under an Australian uh, contest prep athlete for a coach for a while. And he uh, would go out shooting wild animals for farmers that needed to control them. So it meant that he would sleep in a, in a swag for up to five days at a time in the middle of a contest prep. So he would, yeah, same thing, jerry up his ute. He'd have a freezer in the back of it. That would power the fridge. It would keep it cold. And then he would cook his food over a fucking campfire because it was important to him to nail the meticulous things that were necessary for a contest prep. Would we ask anyone else to do that? Probably not. But That's he wanted to. Yeah. The poor bastard, man. He was also a tree lopper doing incredible hours and eating like 14, 1500 calories. An absolute just warrior of a dude in regards to his um, ability to withstand pressure. But so these are, these are all the things that you need to, you know, ask yourself in regards to that preferences. Like how much do you really want to control all of this? You know, like if it's going to be stressful for you to, to not eat out with friends and family, then you probably should find out ways to eat out with your friends and family. Do you, does that mean that you have to go for the most delicious meal on the menu and get entrees and get a dessert? No, like this isn't the last supper. It's not going to disappear. Food will be here forever. And I think the more that you start to understand those even small things, like it becomes really easy just to go back to your personal preference. Like, no, I still have physique goals. I still have performance goals. Those are important to me, just like having social goals are. And you just try and marry all of these up together. Absolutely. And so when you are trying to design a program around personal preference, because that ultimately to me anyways, where is where it seems like you take all of these principles and then this sort of determines the application. So um, can you give some examples, I guess, in terms of how you might approach the personalization of uh, someone who is, you know, just really, really basic, maybe someone who's intermediate and then someone who's a little bit more advanced in terms of how you might structure a, a generalizable strategy. Obviously, things have to be individualized, but just sort of a general context of like your thought process when you're going through this for a client. Mm. I think it's easier to work back from like, quote unquote, you know, optimality towards yeah. manageability. So, you know, if we say, uh, myself at the start of the year for the contest prep was trying to optimize. I think you need to do everything that is necessary to do that. That means purchasing your own food, weighing everything you eat, always doing your outputs, always getting your training in at any cost. Now, in doing so, that means that you're going to have to, if you are traveling, pre-select accommodation that is near a gym that is going to be able to facilitate the training that you have to do. It doesn't, you might want to stay in the middle of London, but if London has a shit gym, guess what? 
And unless you're prepared to travel for an hour, it's probably a poor choice. So, you know, you're up here. But then as you move down that scale of I'm less inclined to worry about the specifics and I'm more inclined to worry about the general concept, you start to just pull away from how much you tighten the reins on things. You know, maybe you're okay with only going to an average gym three times a week for the next two weeks because you know you only have to train 50% of the volume that you normally would in order to sustain the physique you had when you when you left home three weeks ago. Similarly with food, we can go from having protein, carbon, fat targets, you know, that must be within five grams. We can then maybe go to a protein plus a, a carbohydrate and fat range. So some days you're going to eat 100 grams of fat, some days you're going to eat 50 grams of fat, and then carbs are going to be modified accordingly. Some or and then from that with next up down with like let's just go protein and calories and not give a fuck about the the carbs and fats, you know. And as you go down, I would probably say like general populations down this side, if they're just looking to manage their physique, protein calories will do the job, and behaviors. As you go back up, the specificity of the nutritional control needs to align then with the specificity of the goal you're intending to try and sustain or achieve while traveling. Um, I think that covers that question. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, in terms of like when you're uh, when you're even traveling for vacation versus traveling um, uh, for work or anything like that, do you have any sort of different strategies? Like personally, because obviously, like if you're looking to maintain a certain level of physique like you were saying if you're in contest prep if you're in off season or whatever whatever the objectives are you know while you're training how do you sort of navigate those conversations with uh with with your clients or even just kind of with yourself um it, it really is again a question of when do we need to achieve the goal and what is the requisite i suppose boxes we need to tick off by what time slots in order to achieve that you know, if, if we take an individual who's ahead of the game, we can kind of like let the reins out on a holiday within reason. If the individual's still chasing their tail, then we can't let the reins out. And then the conversation's going to change in regards to the level of control. So like, for example, it might be, you know, athlete A is in front. So we might say, hey, within your week holiday, I'm willing to forego accuracy three days of the week where you just go out and take a, a meal that's roughly a certain calorie limit and we know that this week is a break week for you so we actually don't intend to achieve fat loss so it's okay for you to over consume compared to what you were previously whereas then athlete b who's behind we might say oh look you can go out and eat if you'd like to but you have to stick to steak and vegetables and we can track that because most menus have the weight of the steak and steamed vegetables even if guesstimated are within a level of accuracy that is okay for any physique uh, achievement that you're trying to achieve. So it's again, we, we keep stepping back and I th feel like it sounds repetitive, but we step back to this, what is what does success mean to you at the end of this block? And how long do we have to achieve the success at the block after the holiday? And then that's gonna change what conversations I have with an individual in regards to how accurate do they need to be around their food choices? Totally. And uh, one of the things that I ran into while I was traveling was um, a lot of the times foods don't have barcodes if you're trying to scan them, uh, especially in like Eastern Europe and Asia. Good luck. It's just not uh -huh. really happen. Um, 
and especially as well because like a lot of the foods are kind of mixed as well um which can make it a lot more difficult to uh to, to accurately evaluate that stuff so um do you have any sort of tips or strategies around sort of managing your diet for someone who is looking to kind of track macros or someone who does that fairly religiously, but then they're in an environment where that's not, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but it's way harder just because the food is just different. Um, uh-huh. And what you can and can't track is also just a little bit different. So uh, travel with whey protein. I know you and I had this discussion even uh, briefly and I said, man, I, I run like a hundred grams of whey protein a day. Uh, sometimes 140. Um, and that's just because I know, not so much in England, because food availability here is abundant. It's it's unreal. It's better than Australia. But like in, in other areas where getting low-fat beef mince in Portugal was impossible, you know, it sucked. And I was like, ah, like, one, I want low-fat beef mince because it means I've got steak in there, not fucking cartilage and bones, and, and the meat's not grey. I kind of like meat that looks red, you know? Um so I, I think traveling with whey will make a significant difference to your ability to at least hit a protein target. I think the next step from there is like, okay, if we have to consider hunger and satiety, it's probably going to be in your best interest to try and find somewhere locally or a general shop that can can provide you with like an abundance of fruit and vegetables and fill up on those whenever you go anywhere and then decrease your meal frequency so that you can account for additional calories coming from foods that are untrackable. So, you know, like if we if we had somebody who did just for ease of maths, five meals at 500 calories and they're now going out and that meal could be anywhere from 500 to a thousand calories because they don't really know what's in it and they want to eat one of those a day. That's fine. Instead of doing five meals now, I'd probably do three. So you've saved the thousand calories somewhere. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the thousand calories somewhere. Um, and I would always keep the meals that you can track to the lowest calorie limit possible unless you're on a high calorie diet then it's different but usually people are trying to minimize damage on a holiday they don't typically have a large calorie allowance so um, you're going to go from a five meal diet to a three meal diet and then you're going to you're going to substitute out the protein that you would miss in those two meals with whey protein or non-perishables like beef jerky if you can find something like that or you know deli ham or egg whites you can usually buy eggs anywhere in the world you know, like there are some simple things that you can do and then you're going to allow for the calories that you've missed from those otherwise normal five meals and you're just going to distribute them to the, the meal that you can't really track that accurately. I think that's definitely great advice. For for me, I try and do something pretty similar as well just because, yeah, <laughs> you're not really going to find a lot of things. And even if you go some places in Asia, you order like a steak and you're like, I know this isn't even beef. Like, this is probably <laughs> horse or, some, or maybe dog sometimes. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, there there were a couple places. I actually did try dog when I was in uh, Korea. Um, and it was knowingly, right. huh? Knowingly, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I just wanted to try it. I was because I, I was like, oh, why not? And then I tried it. And it wasn't that great. It was a little gamey, but it was it was all right actually. But uh, I don't know that I'd really go and buy it. But at any rate, you you know sometimes you don't really know what you <laughs> what you are eating in in some of those countries. They're like, yeah, this is steak, and you're like, oh, I don't think so. You know, and, you and even if you do, it's it's often meat. not trackable. You know. Yeah. Like yeah. In, in Turkey, I ate a, a sandwich called a cockroach, yeah. which was sweetbreads and lamb variations of offal, 
wrapped in a uh, a lamb intestine, cooked over grill, and then diced up on a hot plate, which they typically add oil to. And then they put it on a bread roll, and they usually dip that bread roll in the oil that they're, kick, they're cooking the cockroach in. So it's like, there's no fucking chance I could count that. Not a chance in hell. But when, when I ate that, what I thought was, okay, it's on a bread roll. This bread roll is probably X amount of grams. There's, I pretty much hit a carb target for one of my five meals with this bread roll. All right, noted that. Protein's definitely low, but the fats are probably through the roof, you know? So I was like, all right, well, I'll just forego my carbs in the next meal and the fats for the rest of the day, and I'll just stick to lean protein and vegetables. It's like, I enjoyed the meal. It's okay. One thing I think people need to be okay with when they travel, if they have a low calorie limit, and less control over the foods that they consume is they need to be okay with finding times where they're going to be hungry and that's okay. Uh, that's the one thing I think people fuck up on holidays is this perpetual need to constantly feel like they're full when they eat uh, instead of just worrying about the experience and being present in the moment when they're actually consuming it and saying, hey, like, like I ate the cockroach because I wanted to eat the local cuisine. Like, did I feel full after it? Hell no. It was one sandwich. It was tiny. But... I didn't need that meal to be my filling meal. You know, I saved that for other things. Um, and like, would you normally recommend somebody does 140 grams away on a calorie controlled diet? Absolutely not. But I typically offset that with a shit ton of vegetables. You know, so it's like we're finding ways here to sort of, uh, if I can't have one, what else can I have? And when I, when, I, when I can have that, then what do I have to forego here? And it's just this constant, you know, ebb and flow of, Accuracy versus palate preference versus lifestyle preference and so on. Yeah, I've definitely have found that like fruits and veggies are, are my friend. Like I'll probably have like 10 combined servings of fruits and veggies per day for sure. Because um, it just does fill you up. Plus it's like you just feel way better. I feel way better anyways when I'm eating a bunch of them. But oh, yeah. Uh, I'm messing up. Yeah. And so... One of the things that I did want to know as well is the sort of educational process, because that's something that does kind of happen naturally with clients, you know, as you kind of do your check-ins, whether it's weekly, monthly, whatever, you know, you sort of review their progress and you're like, okay, you're doing really well with this. And then you may, you know, add things or subtract things or whatever, but through that process, they sort of learn, you know, how to manage their lifestyle, how to manage all those things as well. Do you have any, uh, sort of approach or process of gauging when someone might be better to kind of transition into, you know, a quote unquote informed eating approach, or is this something you maybe just sort of like you diet them for a while and then you maybe on maintenance, you kind of explore what that might look like and kind of give them opportunities to sort of test the waters a little bit. Like what's your approach with that? This is where I would typically tag in Liz because she's the gun on this stuff because she deals, she, she went through a lot more. I'll, I'll start that again. I'm lucky in that. Well, I guess you're my, contesting exclusively. Now. Yeah. Okay. And also I'm, I'm now at the stage with the people that I get a bias towards my style of coaching. So they're coming in already bought in. They, they know exactly what to do. In saying that though, there's still a, there's still an education process to my uh, contest pro clients because there's a lot of bodybuilders out there that just say, hey, dude, I just want to follow a diet and switch off. And I'm like, look, that's fine until it's not, you know, because there's going to be a period of time where you go to get a meal out of the fridge, somebody's eating the food that you thought was there, and now you have to adapt and survive. And you're not calling me up at fucking 10 p.m. to say, how do I swap out steak and, and potato, Dean? You know, I'm not answering that. No, sorry. 
So we, what normally will happen, depending on like the onboarding process with our clients is we're going to determine at what stage they're at in their nutritional literacy. And then we're going to achieve, we're going to, we're going to choose the appropriate approach for that individual. If we were to say like, starting from the beginning working through we're going to build foundational knowledge so we actually have like a concept called the foundation diet as well where it's about setting up a foundational diet so that they've got the the bare minimums from a fruit vegetables lean protein understanding and they know how to portion out a plate so to speak with those food groups so they understand what a protein is a fat is the carb is a vegetable how much should go on each plate use similar sort of techniques to um uh like uh, i was going to say true nutrition that's not quite right I've gone blank on the company, but like using the thumb and the hand. Precision nutrition. Yeah. Um, yeah, so using metrics like that to give people a bit of an understanding of serving sizes. And then from there, there's an education process that they go through with us. We have like a, a whole host of learning exercises that they go through in order to build nutritional literacy. And then the coach is then going to determine as that process is happening, where do we start to let the rope out? You know, do we give them a single meal where they don't track it on a scale but they just choose appropriate foods and that's their first step out of the the need to be super accurate like maybe that's your first step you know like eat the exact same food that you normally eat each day but don't put on the scale so you're, you're learning to like give up the necessity to weigh and then the next step might be like hey now i want you to take out one of those meals and replace it with something else but match the calories but don't worry about the carbs and fats and the next person might be, you get one free meal and let's just see what they choose. You know, you say, hey, you don't, you don't have to worry about this meal. Just go out and enjoy it, but eat like an adult. You know, or Liz and I will say, don't, eat, don't ask yourself, am I eating like an asshole? If I'm eating like an asshole, I probably should curb this a little bit, you know. And you go through all of these and then slowly but surely we're trying to give people the opportunity to find those personal preferences that I, that I mentioned. That's actually why uh, we, we coined Informed Eating because we wrote a book called um, Life After Dieting. And this is the whole concept of like why that was created is how do we get people from achieving a particular goal through changing nutritional and, and physical behaviours to then sustaining those in the absence of a coach? Because you and I both know that when you look at the research for post-diet phased individuals, the accurate or so the success rate of that is fucking, you know, deplorable. It's so bad. You know, five years down the track, 95% of people have got the weight back, if not more. So like we're very good at getting people leaner. We're terrible at educating them to a point where they can find that sustainable change. Um so there has to be this education process and that's sort of the way we go through it. It's just finding your way down the roads that are available to you to, to pick and choose where you let the rope out, where you tighten the noose a little bit, I guess you could say. Absolutely. And one of the things that I honestly don't understand is when I hear coaches or researchers saying that education isn't the key, you know, they're like, Oh, if education was really the, the difference maker, everyone would be lean. And I'm like, oh my god like you clearly don't understand what education is then because education makes up such a critical component of every successful coach's practice that i've ever known you know and it's like that's literally one of the fundamental keys is you know it's not just knowing about that stuff because that's just information that's not education oh. you know and there's a big difference between those things like when when you actually know something you do it that's like when people would always tell me, they'd be like, oh yeah, like, no, I'm, I'm really like, I know a lot about marketing. I'm like, oh yeah, Where, how's your business doing? 
Oh, okay. Shit. Oh, you're a nutrition coach. Oh, how come you're 70 pounds overweight? Yeah. You don't actually know what you're doing. Oh, you're a strength coach. What are your numbers? Yeah. You don't actually know what you're doing. It's like the moment you actually know something, you do it. Right. Mm. That's the difference between like a conceptual knowledge versus actually having done it. And now you have the abilities. It's like, if you knew how to be a millionaire, you'd be a millionaire. No one just automatically would choose overweight, weak, you know, poor financial health or like terrible relationships. No one chooses those things acutely. So it's like, if, if you don't know, then you can't make those good decisions. And like you were saying, it's like the groundhog day. It's over and over and over in the monotony. But uh, yeah, that's one incredibly important aspect is, is the educational piece. And I mean, I, I think it's really cool that you have that as part of like, uh, as a sort of like, I'm guessing that's sort of an add-on for your your coaching. I don't know. It's It's inclusive of... Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, like, what's the point in being a coach within the health space if your goal is just to sustain a client? Like the PT model, like, PTs are reliant in person to typically, not non performance athlete, let me just say this, because they're different, kettles are efficient, even for me as a coach and conscious rep. But their models are designed to, to retain clients at all costs. Their, their model is not to get this person fit, healthy, and move them on because they're worried about paying rent. At least in Australia, the model is always sustain, sustain, sustain. So they're, they're basically making a client dependent on them. Whereas we've always spruiked the concept of trying to make the client independent, you know, and, and not dependent on us. We want them to leave. Because if they leave and then they're successful, that's what success is to us, you know. Um, it's not sustaining the client or, you know, you see these, like I said, these marketing people, like you want 100 clients and then you want to, I'm like, no, I, I want, I want 50 clients and then I want another 50 clients because I want those 50 clients to learn, go through the process, achieve a goal, sustain a goal, go off, do their own thing, maybe help somebody else. Uh, if you're a performance coach, it's different because there's always progression available, right? Like the best clients that I've ever had are, are two and three and four year clients because we're going through phases of growing and fat loss and learning and all this kind of shit. Um, but if we didn't give clients the opportunity to first learn and then apply the knowledge that they learn to then make that actual change like fuck i'd hate to do that man i'd hate to just talk to the client every week like hey, what do we do this week same as last week like all right let's try again buddy and like it's not okay for a coach to say all they need to know is how to, to track calories like it's true that the education of that is easy we all know energy balance is the key tenant to fat gain and muscle gain and fat loss but how do we manage that calorie balance? And there's education that's necessary for that, you know? There's supportive services that we supply to give people the opportunity to even understand the difference between their motivations, to, you know, figure out their whys, to understand the difference between, I mentioned before, homeostatic hunger and hedonic hunger, so that when it hits them, they're not like, oh, I'm fucking hungry, you know? Okay. And you can't be truly intuitive in 2022 in a developed country that has an abundance of highly palatable food that are designed to fucking wreck you, you know, intuition ain't going to help you there. What will help you is understanding your nutritional needs, understanding what calories are, understanding that if you eat a bag of chips, it's harder to stop eating that than it is to eat just the potato itself, you know, like, and, and you can't make these choices and understand appropriate choices. I suppose you could say for your goals, if you have no nutritional knowledge to begin with. Yeah, and honestly, like to me, the education component is is the skill component because I mean, even if you look at like 
self-determination theory or even self-efficacy. It's like all of that stuff is based on past success. It's like if you have a history of success, that builds confidence, that builds self-efficacy. If you don't have a history of success, it's like, okay, you don't, you're not competent to do these things. And how you develop competency is through education. You know, like a client comes to you and they're like, hey, I'm really struggling to, to meet my protein targets, you know. Generally speaking, you're going to tell people, hey, focus on the fundamentals first. Don't worry about supplements till later. If, if we're talking about someone who's like relatively new to nutrition. But in that case, you might say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's just bang a bunch of whey protein um, because that'll get you to your target. And so it's like we're kind of taking things and mixing up the order, but it's effective. And now you know, hey, that's, this is a new thing. This is a new tool that I have now in my, in my arsenal. If ever I struggle with protein, I can always buy protein powder or jerky or whatever it is that, that you recommend, mm -hmm. right? And, and it's like, I just don't understand how people can separate that from, from success, you know? And I feel like they need to do a better job of like communicating the difference between like just random nutrition facts and labels and stuff like that versus education. Cause they're not the same. Like one yeah. is, one is like information. One is application, you know, of, of the information. Absolutely. Cause, and if we didn't do this, what you'd end up having is an average Joe walking into a supermarket who's hungry and said, Oh, my coach Dan told me that I need protein. And then he gets a, a, a box of chickpeas that have been fried and it's like good protein sauce. He's like done, you know, like, fuck, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's what the front of the packet says. Now let's turn it around and learn what the back of the packet actually says, you know, or what it means to consume that. So, and again, that's, that's a part of like, you can tell somebody they need protein and you can tell them that it comes from animal products, but then like, what if they don't want an animal product? And like, what if the animal product available in China isn't suitable, you know? Like we need to give people the opportunity to, to, to like reach into that bag of pre-learned things that we've helped them with to then make their own informed choices so that when they actually make those choices too, they actually have more buy-in, you know, because even if we take that individual before you, like, let's bang in a bunch of protein, they try protein, they get the wrong one. And it tastes like shit. They're like, fuck that. I'm not doing it. Like now, now we've got an adherence issue because we just were too simple with, you know, our like intervention there but if we teach them like what the availabilities are and then they go through and they try new things and like you said they build self-efficacy like hey guess what i chose today dan i actually found this fucking packet i turned around as beef jerky i've never even used it before and you're like cool dude like now you're learning on your own because you understand the fundamentals and that's when the like that's when the magic happens you know um like i had a prep client recently that used to binge quite hard and um I have a like a, a part of my questionnaire like you know what would you rate your level of success this week or your, your level of accuracy and i think he may have put in like 80 percent or something but then he was like you know i've said 80 percent, but it's not really because i said 80 percent because i missed this food and i ate this extra and i'm like yeah but what did you actually eat and he's like oh i had one ice cream like one paddle pop or something like that like this tiny little ice cream is 80 calories i'm like dude six months ago you would eat in the box you know like you've learned now that how do I manage my hunger? How do I understand like what is true hunger versus, you know, just my will to, to seek some form of dopamine hit and all these sorts of things. Like, and as, as time progresses, because he's now got a better understanding of his nutrition, a better understanding of what foods are available for him to, to tick his palate boxes, I guess you could say, he now has the, the freedom and the ownership to choose what he does with his decisions, as opposed to me telling him what he should eat each day. And the sustainability of his physique right now is tenfold of what it used to be. 
Yeah, and I think the funny thing too about that is if you do end up going, this is just I guess sort of like a side tangent. If you do end up going off the diet, you sort of, if you have experience with it, you're way more cautious about what you do. So, for instance, I know 100% that because I ate out on Saturday, I'm gonna need about a week and a half before I get down to my weight before that day. So I'm set back a week and a half essentially, you know, now it's not quite that, but almost, you know, and, and so it's like, if I go out, I'm like, okay, do I really want to set myself back another week and a half of dying just to get back to where I like, is this worth it? Uh, no, you know, you can make those decisions or in this case, yes, because I'm taken off. And I was like, I just wanted to do something with my friends for a bounce. But I think, uh, I think those decisions become a lot more informed once you kind of have gone through those those cycles uh over and over i guess and you start to make better yeah. decisions and a lot of the times you don't even really realize if you're like oh i'm actually pretty good at this because i mean everyone can kind of look back and realize where they were when when they first started like i was terrible with dieting terrible you know and it took a long long time before i was actually like good <laughs> you know yeah. and it was never like i reached a point where i was like oh, okay now i'm good it was like I'd be good and then I'd drop and then I'd good, you know, but then those like blips would be less frequent. They would happen for shorter durations. I would do less damage. And now eventually got to the point where it's like just doesn't really come up anymore, which is nice. But like you said, it's like years and years and years of just fucking beating yourself over the head all the time. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, I think it's also important just for people that are listening, like it's not as easy for every individual either you know some people are going to have a harder time uh in that you know like I, I was my entire adolescence was sport 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 kind of eat whatever i wanted but i had a, a good idea of what good nutrition was and i never i never battled with weight and because of that now as an adult i don't also battle with weight like i i have a given amount of fat cells that can be filled up to a given amount and my feedback systems are, are set up based in and are predicated on you know that 30 years of life before this current life that i have whereas if you have an individual who's been like you know excessively overweight and obese their tolerance to being hungry may be reduced for a point in time but it doesn't mean that it can't change you know like this is an, an argument for i suppose epigenetics which is a large one to talk about for another time but I don't want people to feel like it's just as easy as, oh, yeah, man, just choose your protein sources and that. Like, it's easier for me because of what my childhood was, but the same rules apply and the same concepts and framework applies. That You need to try and give yourself the best chance of success by setting up your diet and your framework and your behaviours, knowing what your personal preferences are, because that's going to make a huge difference, you know. Uh, and it does get better and easier. Uh, I think one of the most important things that people can probably think about when they are travelling when they're on a holiday is that try and disassociate the joy of food a little bit. Like it shouldn't just be about the food. It should be about the experience of which food is a part of. And the more you do that, the more you go seeking the food for happiness and you seek the experience for happiness. And then the food just coexists and it makes it a lot easier just to have a portion of a meal. So not to point the finger at you in this instance, because it's a different scenario, but like you don't have to cost yourself a week and a half, you know, you may just be able to cost yourself a day, like, and, and that's a choice too. Um, so you'll get, not you, 
but you, the person who's listening, will get better and better at choosing what is important to you at each time that you make these choices to deviate from the current plan to a different plan. No, that's absolutely that's absolutely right. Um, so we're we're coming up on, I believe, the hour mark now, and I just wanted to know if maybe there was anything that uh, that we missed, anything you wanted to just kind of leave some some final remarks on. Um. I'm not sure if we've missed anything. We didn't really talk about training, but I think like it, it, the same concept is there. Like you need to have a, a fairly good understanding as to what is required to progress versus sustain your performance, um, and that will change behaviors accordingly. But I'd say probably save that for another time. I, I think first and foremost, if I was to give some tips at the end of this, I don't think we've missed anything. So let's go tips. Is ask yourself what success is at the end of the holiday. Like, is it a certain amount of percentage weight gain? And, and give yourself a range, not a, not a very particular number. Um, what behaviors are necessary to achieve that success? And then what are you going to do on a daily basis to make that easier? If you, if you adhere to those, it's not that difficult. And with, with any time that you over, overdo it, you can undo it the next day. But don't get caught up on doing it if it's going to psychologically impact you in a negative way where you feel restricted to the point where the next day you then want to eat again. Sometimes if you overeat, you're just better off moving on to the next days if it didn't exist, uh, as opposed to trying to, to counterbalance that, you know, because that's one thing we certainly don't want to do. Yeah, agreed. Awesome, man. So where can people find you, Dean? Uh, best for us is just to flex underscore success uh, on Instagram. That's our handle for, for flex success. All of our coaches are available via there. We have a, a thing on there called Quick Links, which will set you up for the opportunity for online consultations if people just have questions that they want answers to. Um, we have our ebooks on there. I mentioned uh, the informed eating book. We've got a whole bunch of under ones there, depending on where you're at in your journey. You know, if you need to learn about food, there's one there called Untangling Fat Loss, which is fantastic for that. Uh, if you want to learn how to track accurate macros accurately, there's a macro tracking mini course and, and pro course on there that people can use too so that they can understand food so that when they go out, they don't have to take a scale with them. Um, so they're all available there via Quick Links. And um, it's pretty easy. You apply online if you want to talk to us. Awesome. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys. Definitely make sure you go check them out. Check out Flex Success. Check out the website. Check out their Instagrams and give them a follow. Dean, thanks so much for jumping on, man. Absolute pleasure, dude. Been fun.